Welcome. Welcome. Two billion of us celebrate this deal, th this day, in all 196 countries. Exactly. Amen. In the middle of a God willing, waning pandemic, people will gather speaking dozens and dozens of languages and even more dialects and even within more cultures. And though we do it every day, today Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we do it in mud brick huts with thatched roofs. We do it with marbled floors, with, with ceilings vaulted as high as those trees. Still others in open fields or rolling hills, while others huddle into dark rooms fearing so, or hidden away from the police or the terror. Some of them meet in dining rooms in the middle of a pandemic, and some meet in the intersection of about five backyards. And yet we come, both billions of us, for one thing, to sit in awe of Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, the Messiah of God, and to marvel at his mercy and might. To remind us again, and to tell him, recall to him again, that he is the king of an amazing kingdom of love and justice. He has the power to bring forgiveness and freedom, and he deserves all the weight, the fame, the honor, the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you've been with us over the past weeks of Lent, we've been learning to pray the Lord's Prayer. And today we enter into the traditional ending of the prayer, for thine is the kingdom, or yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Though it is a good and right end to the prayer, this little phrase was kind of an editor's note in one of the copied manuscripts that got popular. It was a little uh, transcriber's interruption, if you will, of worship, a little doxological margin in the middle of his copying. So it's not in the original manuscripts, but the content is fully scriptural for God to have, to, for us to tell God that he has, in fact, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And it is a fitting response to the end of the prayer, and it certainly is on Easter Sunday. So we're going to talk about kingdom power and glory, the kingdom, the power, and the glory, and the resurrection of Jesus. Seems like a good way to send them, spend an Easter morn. Jesus' resurrection, I want to be clear. When I say resurrection here, I am not talking in allegory. It's as true as pigs getting, not getting sunburns and giraffes' necks being made of the same bones as ours, which might be unbelievable, but it doesn't make it less true. It's popular this time of year to pick up a magazine, though I've seen a lot less of them this year. A magazine or read a blog that tries to make the resurrection something of a fable or a dream. And usually I, I'm tempted each year to get mad at these writers, and, and, and not so much that I feel attacked, but it is an attack on, on the foundation of two billion people's beliefs. But then I get over myself because I read the scriptures. After the courageous and faithful women came running to the disciples after the empty tomb, came to those men his own uh, most cherished relationships. And Luke tells us that the words that they said seemed to them like an idle tale. They did not believe the women. An idle tale, it is the only time it's used in the New Testament, which means something like 
Plato described it as something almost like trickery. It, it was a fantasy story, maybe to make them feel better, like telling children that, you know, people who die become angels, some innocent kind of um, uh, uh, tale, lie to assuage the pain. It's just too implausible, too far-fetched. No wonder that they didn't believe. It was too much. And if the, his own disciples struggle with how much the resurrection was, maybe we can have a little compassion on those who do the same. And yet we do that without giving any into any temptation to discount it. The resurrection. Christianity proclaims, the scriptures themselves, Jesus himself, proclaim that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. Physically dead, physically alive. The good news we proclaim, the forgiveness it ushers in, the reign of peace that it grants is born not of Jesus' good intentions, not just of his good teaching, not just of his miracles, but that he was dead and is now alive. St. Paul says, if the resurrection isn't true, then we should be pitied among all people. We should be felt sorry for. And yet, if it is true, and it is true, it changes everything. This is why that traditional ending of the prayer, kingdom, power, and glory is so tied to the wreck of resurrection. Because in this resurrection, Jesus actually conquers within his kingdom. And all kingdoms emerge through conquering. Every culture or nation has their stories. I'll give you the two that my family come from, Italy and um, Hawaii. Romulus has to kill, or doesn't have to, but chooses to kill his twin brother, Remus, to found the city of Rome. And King Kamehameha is, is known as the one who united the Hawaiian Islands. But he did so by slaughtering all the other kings. Jesus flips the script on death and conquering. There is still death there. It is still conquered by death, but not the death of his enemies, but by the death of him, his own self. Because the kingdom of God would be marked not by murder, but by mercy. Isn't that just like the, the God of the universe to establish his kingdom by sacrificial mercy, to take our twisted forms of conquering and turn them on their head? He says, no, 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 I have all the strength and power and authority in the world, all the might, but I'm going to show you the way of the Trinity, the way we treat each other, the way you are intended to be and live in the world. And so what he does is he says, okay, I will die for you in your stead. And then he recruits in the kingdom of God, not a bunch of warriors of the land, not them first. SEAL Team 6 is awesome. The Shinobi ninjas are cool. Her Majesty's Secret Service, Green Braves, all those really cool. Not the first in his mind as he comes in the kingdom, but the broken and the foolish, the failures, the frightened and the frail. He conquers his kingdom by sacrificial love for the broken. The broken. It is so easy at times to forget that Jesus wins by dying and that he recruits the broken in the world. 28 Easter's ago, and if you've been in the Easter service here, you'll know this story. 28 Easter, Easter's ago, my sister and I walked into a church with my six-month-old nephew in, his arm, in our arms. She was a heroic single mom, as all single moms are. 
working a ton of hours in a retail store in the mall, coming back for the first time to church in decades, maybe a decade. I was on break from school, college, and it was with her because she couldn't get the time off retail. We walked into the church awkwardly, found a seat, and as the service began, the minister of the gospel, the one who is to proclaim the good news of Jesus to a broken world, he said, if you are one of those people who come on Easter and Christmas, it means nothing. You might as well not even be here. And the tears fell. The shame came pouring over us. And we knew, or at least we felt, like everyone must be looking at us. In a crowd, yet utterly isolated and feeling exposed, I wanted to scream. At that time, I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. But we took our lashings that day, and silently, with, uh, with no clue that I would be a pastor, I said to myself, God, if you ever give me the chance to say something on an Easter Sunday or a Christmas, I will do the actual, absolute opposite of this. I'll tell everyone in the room, that they are welcome here because Jesus is for the broken and the wayward. And so that's what I'm here to do today. As magnanimous as this day is, we all come to this day differently. Some are just giddy to see each other. I am one of those one who's just giddy today. But I have come to a plenty of Easter service, including that one, where I was confused and unsure. Couldn't remember the last time I'd been in church. Some grew up with this as a true religious high holy holiday, and I, I, that was not my experience other than when we were growing up, we were Easter and Christmas people. Others today is a day for dress up and egg hunts and finally a day off, be with friends and family. Others don't know how to fit into it very well. Standing in the beauty of the brightness of this day also creates shadows of those we've lost and the pain and the hurt and the haunting memories that exist as well. Here's what is true. Jesus has come for all those who long to be healed. For all those who will admit that they are fellow contributors to the brokenness of the world. And he didn't conquer with killing, but with sacrificial love, himself for the broken. Friends, if Easter means anything, it means that you are welcome here. Heavy laden, fallen, finite, broken. My next points will be a little bit shorter about power and glory, Lord willing, for you. The kingdom and the power and the glory are about the resurrection. What about the power? I want to say to you that he parades his power in the resurrection. Not just, you know, conquering, uh, not just uh, conquering for his kingdom, but he parades his power. Colossians says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them into open shame by triumphing, triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Translators tell us that this is both physical and spiritual that his power is displayed. It's a, pub, a public procession of triumph over evil, body and soul. It's a ticker tape parade of shaming shame and goading guilt. One denomination says it this way, the body is the hinge of salvation. God is the creator of the flesh and the word became flesh in order to redeem the body. The resurrection of, body, of the body is the fulfillment of its creation intent and becomes the resurrection of body and soul. It leads John Updike to say, make no mistake, this parade is about the body, right? If he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. 
Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of an earlier age. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast, the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. His hands scarred, now healed, his dead body, now vivified, his impaled side, now mended. And we participate in this praise, in this parade. Friends, this means that every foolish act that you have done in your body can be redeemed by his power. Every trauma you've experienced and now hold in your body can be redeemed. Every violence done to you and every violence you've done to another in their body can be forgiven and healed, can be redeemed. Because he parades his power in the resurrection and the triumph over the flesh. And yet we're not just bodies, that we are souls as well. And that parade, that ticker tape parade includes that as well. Do not let modernism and humanism dictate what you know to be true, that we are more than our bodies even if we're not less than them. You have a soul, and if you have the courage to admit it, you know it's a fragmented soul. Jesus has come for the eternal part of you to be healed, not in escape from your body, but to rejoin and integrate and incorporate your body and your soul. Jesus was God and human, fully integrated and fully both. You are eternal soul, and we'll have an eternal body. And he has come and conquered sin and death so that we might live in body and soul forever. And Easter is the celebration of that reality. Not that fairy tale, that reality. In a disintegrated world with a disintegrated soul, Jesus' resurrection shows off and shows out his power to heal the world and our hearts as far as the curse is found. And now we live in this different cosmos, this different world, a new reality, which includes the forgiveness of our sins, but also new life, a new family, a new kingdom, born out of the resurrected life of Jesus because of the power, the reality, and not the metaphor of it. And our, the breadth of his redemption includes our soul and body. Easter's not just about the stone heart to bring forgiveness, but also the stone rolled away from the tomb but that in that every square inch of the cosmos is lay claim for him. That's the breadth of redemption. The kingdom, the power, and now the glory. Glory is another word for honor, sometimes fame or weight or substance or value. Our response to that is to worship forever and ever, amen. But in the resurrection, Jesus gilds his glory. I say gild like that old southern term, gilding the lily. It's a food term, right? Often. It's a cooking term. When you put that little extra something in there, the little flair, you add that little secret ingredient, the little, you pipe that little extra sugary or savory sauce. Creole culture, culture calls it lanyap. It's the 13th donut in the dozen, right? It's the added lemon sugar zest. It's the extra, the over-the-top over topping, the gratuitous plenty. 
That's what it is. The Father and the Son and the Spirit already filled with glory. They don't need a little extra. They were deserving of our allegiance and our honor in themselves without any of us. They're already complete and worthy of all the worship of the cosmos. But in the resurrection, they gild the glory. They land, Jesus lanyaps his legacy by rising from the dead. The resurrection screams to us because the lanyap of Jesus, Jesus' grace, the gilded glory, his honor, praise. So whether it's your first or 50th Easter service, whether it's been a year or a decade, church, family and friends, strangers, in the name of the risen Jesus, come to him, broken, weak, trust him, turn to him. We are glad you're here. You're here. And for those of you who've been shamed, who've been pushed away by people like me, even ministers of the gospel, don't hear those words. Hear the reality of the resurrected Jesus that welcomes you to come, to lay your burdens on him. And if your sin feels too gross, too big, too abnormal, too whatever, the resurrected Jesus says, no, it's not true. You can come to him. And so you need to know, if we don't see you till next Easter, you'll be welcome here again. And again, you will always be welcome here. And know this, you are not alone. Even we who believe, even the pastor, sometimes don't know what to do. Sometimes we forget the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to him and not ourselves. That we forget that the power and the glory of Easter is forever and ever. Amen. And so you're welcome to a fellowship of the broken who believe and still struggle to believe. And hear this again. In the name of the risen Christ, you're welcome. Now, a little something about Christmas, or both Christmas and Easter. It's kind of, you don't really have to make up the topic you're going to talk about. And pastors sit and talk and like try to figure out like what's going to be the zinger illustration? What's going to be the thing, right? Because we want to communicate anew these things. Well, Chris and I are going back and forth and he's telling me all these awesome stories and I was totally into those stories. And then I realized at some point they're not my stories, they're his stories. And so I've actually asked him to finish off my sermon. No, not really. But, um, but to, to tell some of the stuff I was getting so excited about that I was marveling at as he was talking about them. It's all you know. All right, so this is a story for people that like superheroes. Um, I'm trying very hard not to, if you haven't seen all the Avengers movies by this point, it's time to watch them. Um, But I'm not going to ruin the endings for you. Um, But uh, when Jesus uh, came up from the dead and out of the tomb, he was worthy to do that. He was the only person that could actually take this thing up. So I'm watching Avengers Endgame. I saw it in the theater. And uh, there's this scene at the, uh, in Avengers Endgame, which I won't ruin for you, but there is a character named Thor. We're familiar with the person named Thor exists. Go like this. Okay. And Thor has a hammer, and I believe its name is Molnir. Can I get Molnir? Is that, is that correct? Molnir. okay, yeah. And he has this hammer. Only Thor can pick up the hammer. 
it's not because it's so heavy that no one else could pick it up or else the Hulk would be able to pick it up or Iron Man could pick it up. But no one can pick it up because no one else is worthy. And anyone that picks it up will be known as worthy to have all the powers of Thor. So in the end game, Thor is just getting his butt whipped, right? And he's actually about to get killed. And I'm in the theater. You can actually go YouTube Captain America Hammer and find audience reactions to this and it will bless your day. And uh, as he's about to get killed, the hammer flies and hits the bad guy and then zooms back and everyone's like starts standing out of their seat in the theater and then he goes zoom into Captain America's hands, right? He had never picked it up. And the whole theater goes nuts, everywhere goes nuts. I'm watching it at home two weeks ago with my children who are 10, eight and six. And Rosie, who is six, they're all standing up out of their seats as well. And when the, when the hammer flies, they all start cheering. And when the hammer comes back to Captain America's hands, my six-year-old Rosie, she stands up and she goes, he's worthy. <laughs> he is worthy <laughs> to pick it up and to take it. Um, Jesus is the only one who is worthy to take life up from death. That weightiness that our brother just told us about belongs to him. And if you are his, even if you ain't been here in a long time, even if you ain't planning on coming back, he's the only one that can make you worthy to pick up death in him as well. So let's pray and we're going to sing another song. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us more than we even would have asked you for. You have given us not the 13th, just the 13th donut in the dozen by the lanyap of your grace. But Lord, you have given us everything. You gave us the factory. And Lord, we pray that this would actually stir us deeply from death to life. Because Lord, by faith, we are washed by you and made new. Take it all up now, Lord, in us. Take up the death and lead us, usher us in to life. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.